If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. You guys ready for the word? Excited? Have your Bible, open up your notebook, grab a pen, make sure you can take some notes. It's our third week of our series, Love in Action. Uh, We've been taking a little bit of a journey uh, through the book of Acts. We've been looking at some key stories uh, taking place in the book of Acts where we see this incredible kind of movement of the love of God, the love of Jesus, the love that he has for the world being put into action. It is made tangible. Now, the book of Acts is incredible, okay? We can definitely not cover it in three weeks. So I want to encourage you, make time to spend some time in the book of Acts because the book of Acts records this story about how a small group of Jewish men suddenly empowered by the Holy Spirit, they take this movement and it in a very literal sense turns global, It spreads like wildfire. And the degree to which this little movement of theirs spread, spreads with such severity and to such an extent that they are accused of the following. Listen to Acts 17 verse 6. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also speaking about some of the disciples, bringing the good news of the gospel to this specific city where this verse happens in. It says they are literally turning the world as we know it upside down. It's crazy. What they're saying is radical. What they're doing is miraculous. We can't explain it, and it goes on. We read about how in Acts 11, it says in Antioch, a specific city, the disciples there were first called Christians. (laughs) This movement is so radical, it is so extreme, it is so miraculous that the world at this stage needs to come up with a brand new word to describe the people that's a part of this movement. It's no longer enough to just call them the disciples of Jesus or the disciples of the way or the followers of this. They have to come up with a whole new word calling them Christians. Act is amazing. Acts chapter 2, we've mentioned that a lot, speaks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved. It is the birth of the church. Acts chapter 2 to chapter 7 speaks about how this movement continues to grow in Jerusalem. More people are saved. Entire households are saved and they are baptized. Miracles happen. Acts chapter 9, we read about Saul who becomes Paul. He has this miraculous, extreme encounter with the risen Jesus. His life is forever changed and he launches on this lifelong mission of preaching and establishing the church. It continues. Chapters 8 to 12, it records how the movement continues to spread, but now it spreads to even outside the kind of Jewish parameters that they thought the gospel would take place in. We read, uh, we uh, spoke about it last week, how Peter had this, has this moment where he sees a vision and God reveals to him, don't call 
unclean what I have called clean. He's referencing the fact that the gospel is not only for Jews, it's for everyone. And just to say, you and I can be very thankful for that. Because if it wasn't for that moment, then we would not be able to have church, right? Acts is an incredible, incredible book. It's radical. It's action-packed. It's fast-paced. It's really like love in action. But tonight, I want to ask the question, where did all of that start? How was that made possible? And you might be thinking, well, yeah, Acts chapter 2, because that's where the Holy Spirit, you know, is given. And then that's the launch of the book of Acts. But what I want to share with you tonight is even before Acts chapter 2, there's a moment. There is a moment that unlocked, literally, the book of Acts. There is a moment that if it were not for that moment, the book of Acts would not be possible. And when it comes to movies, we call that a prequel. (laughs) Ever heard of a prequel? So a prequel movie is a movie that tells you the story before the story, if that makes sense. Let me give you an example. The Harry Potter franchise, any fans? It's okay, don't stress. Won't be judged. When it comes to the Harry Potter franchise, we have a a franchise uh, that's a prequel. It's the Fantastic Beasts movie, right? It tells you the story of Dumbledore and all the different characters before we arrive at Harry Potter. Any Lord of the Rings fans, right? So in Lord of the Rings, the prequel is called The Hobbit, right? So, hallelujah. So before, some movie fans, I like it. So before we get to the Lord of the Rings story, there's a story that happens before that story, and it's The Hobbit. It tells you the story of where the ring of power comes from. Gives you a little bit of background. Star Wars fans, anyone like that out there? Oh, wow, there we go. We have a Wookiee at the back. It's good to, good to see you. When it comes to Star Wars, we have a whole series of movies and series that tells you the story before the story. It gives you background. It gives you insight. And what I love about a prequel, I'm a big fan of a prequel movie because it just like deepens my appreciation of the story that comes after. What I love about a prequel is it gives you insight, gives you background, it unlocks a a new kind of appreciation when it comes to the story. I love Lord of the Rings, but I love it even more because of the fact that I could read and watch The Hobbit. It gives me a greater appreciation for it. And when it comes to the book of Acts, there is a prequel. There is a moment, there is a story that happens before the book of Acts that is very literally the key to unlocking Acts. And it's the story of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, in your Bible, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. It tells the story of Jesus So the Gospels are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Gospels because they tell the story of Jesus. But the Gospel of John is very different from the other three Gospels. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, those books in your New Testament, they've all three of them follow a very similar pattern. It kind of, uh, in a sense, chronologically tells the story of Jesus' birth, you know, his life, uh, his ministry. Uh, it follows the kind of same uh, order when it comes to the miracles that they record. It records very factually, you know, his life, his, his arrest, his death, his resurrection, all of that. But the gospel Gospel of John reads completely different. If I can put it like this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell the story of Jesus from our perspective on earth, right? Whereas the Gospel of John tells you the story of Jesus, but from heaven's perspective. <laughs> and you literally see that in the very opening verse of John chapter 1, where it's not, it doesn't tell you the story of the birth of Jesus, but it tells you in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. John is different. Maybe an easier way to explain that is it would be the difference between me telling you a story and Yaku, our worship leader, telling you a story, okay? Yaku is a creative soul, all right? Whenever, it's good, yo, that's why he's our worship leader, he's incredible. But when Yaku tells you a story, ne, you feel it, <laughs> You, you're hearing what he's saying. You're seeing it. You're experiencing it because he literally tells it in such a way that you feel it in your bones. Creative. He colors it in. You know, he takes you on a whole journey. Whereas when I tell you a story, it might not be that creative. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you when it happened. I'll tell you how it happened, but I'll, like get, I'll stick to the point, and it'll be very bland. It'll be very plain. It won't be all spicy and creative and colorful, whereas when Yaku tells you a story, you're experiencing it. And that's kind of the difference between the first three Gospels and the Gospel of John, because the Gospel of John isn't as much focused on the life and ministry of Jesus, but he's focused on telling you who Jesus is. I want you to open up your Bible to John chapter 13, that we're going to spend some time tonight. I gave you some context uh, regarding who wrote it. I hope that's helpful to you. Context is always helpful when you spend time uh, in your Bible. Helps you understand, helps you apply, and it is wonderful. So just some context on John chapter 13 specifically, the chapter that we're going to be spending some time in. This is right before Jesus is arrested. He knows that this is one of the last moments that he is going to be able to spend with his disciples. Now, you can be very much assured when someone knows that they have limited time to spend with you, right? They won't waste time on things that are not important. People on their deathbed don't waste time talking about the weather because they don't care. It's not important to them. They make sure that the people closest to them know what they need to know. 
They'll tell you, I love you. You know, I, I, I'm so, I had a great life. I cherish this family. This is where I hit the map that leads to the treasure, right? They don't waste time on things that are not important. And this is one of Jesus' last moments with his disciples. So we can take note. Whatever he says in this chapter is extremely important because he knows right after this, he will end up being arrested, wrongfully tried, and executed. He'll be resurrected, and then he will go back to heaven to be with his father. So what he says matters. And I believe this chapter that we're going to read from tonight speaks about three things. It speaks about having a burdened heart. It speaks about having a bended knee. And it speaks about having a busy hand. A burdened heart a bended knee, and a busy hand. Let's read together. John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, uh, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, you see, you already have the clue. He knows the hour is getting closer. He needs to, in a sense, say what really matters to his disciples. This is his last training session with them before he unleashes them to go and literally write the book of Acts in history. It goes on to say in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, they were eating together. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, this is in verse 12, and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. And then at the end in verse 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, I will bet that most often whenever you've heard that scripture being either preached in church or spoken about in general, it was most likely immediately connected to, you know, serving, right? We use this in church to encourage each other, serve like Jesus served, you know. He washed other people's feet. So we, like Jesus, we also need to serve, you know. We need to be involved, you know. We need to live beyond ourselves. And that's not wrong, okay. It's not, it's not a wrong interpretation. But there is so much more happening in this story than just encouraging each other to serve, you see, this moment, this moment where Jesus bends his knee and he washes the feet of those closest to him, this is the prequel moment to the book of Acts. The mission that we see explode in the very next book 
where thousands of people are saved, born again, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, households come to salvation, entire communities are made whole, the poor and the needy are cared for, people are generous. At its core, the book of Acts has this moment. This is the moment, the prequel, that unlocks the mission. This is the moment where Jesus is making the most important statement that he can when it comes to mission before he unleashes them. Now, here's a little bit of extra background. Jews were not foreign to washing, okay? They actually had to wash their hands on a regular basis. You know, part of uh, cleansing rituals, you know, part of routines and all of that. So they regularly wash their hands, actually. But the washing of feet was not that ordinary. That was actually quite special. Why? Because in Exodus, the second book in your Old Testament, in Exodus we read about how the priests that did worship in the temple, right? They were the ones responsible for serving and being in the presence of God. They would have to wash their feet before they could enter. So before they were allowed to enter the most holy place where God's very presence resides, they had to wash their feet and then they could go. And here sits Jesus on an average night around a supper table and he starts washing feet. Why? Why would he do that? I believe he was making a point. I believe the point that he was making is this, the mission is not in the temple anymore. The mission is out there. Get this, the church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. Jesus is saying, listen, my heart, the good news, the fact that you can be saved and reconciled is no longer reserved for the professional Christians serving in the temple. The mission is out there. It's on campus. It's in the hospitals. It's in the schools. It's in the streets of Bloemfontein. That is where the mission is. If you've ever wondered why we often speak about family on mission, that's why. Because this is what we do now, this is family, okay? Sundays are family. We get together, we worship, we spend time in the Word, but out there, my brother, my sister, out there is where mission happens. And what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's making a statement about the fact that you and I, before we get there, before I look to the schools, before I look to the hospitals, I need to check my heart and ask whether it is burdened like his. The church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. Are you burdened for the dirty feet in our city? I, I'm still asking myself that question. Are you burdened for the dirty feet in Bloom? Secondly, this passage speaks about a bended knee. Towards the end of John chapter 13, we read this very famous statement. We reference this a lot when we get together. 
But Jesus is saying that how he's given us a new commandment, right? Verse 34 and 35. He says, the new commandment is this, love each other just as I have loved you. Now, again, when we read this scripture, we immediately think, yeah, Jesus died for us. So I need to love like that. But my question is, when Jesus makes the statement, he hasn't died yet. So what is he talking about? He hasn't gone to the cross yet. So what is he referencing? He's referencing what he had just done a few moments before this. He bent down and he washed the feet of those closest to him. A bended knee speaks about posture. It speaks about the way you and I, we posture ourselves when it comes to the mission, when it comes to making the love of God tangible. So I can imagine at this moment, the disciples thinking, great, I know what to do, shop. So I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna identify a need, I'm gonna meet the need and then check. You know, I'm gonna pat myself on the back, give myself a well done, good and faithful servant, and then I'm gonna go home and sleep like a baby, right? But it's even not that. It goes even further. And that's why the word posture is so important here. Because having a bended knee, taking on the posture of a servant to love and invest and sacrifice, that goes far beyond pity and duty and concern. Because we can very easily just go and be nice people in the city of Bloom because we pity the people that are poor. We pity the man at the traffic light begging you know, or I feel a sense of duty because I've been a little bit of self-involved the last few weeks with my study. So now I'm going to go and be a nice Christian out there and then I feel sharp. <laughs> but it's not that. You see, having a bended knee means I move from concern to compassion. There's a difference. You can be concerned for a lot of things and not do anything about it. That's very possible. Let me give you an example. I am genuinely concerned about the climate crisis, okay? I am concerned. I am concerned that the ice caps are melting. I am concerned that polar bears are suffering. I am concerned that sea levels are rising. But to be honest, I'm not doing a lot about it. I worry a little bit. I wonder, you know, is Bloemfontein going to be like a, a seaside city in a couple of years? I don't know. I'm concerned about it but I'm not giving my life to battle climate change. Greta Thunberg does that. We thank her. Praise God for her. But compassion on the other side. Compassion literally comes from the root word passion, which means I feel the burden within my belly to such an extent that I am driven to do something about it. That means love in action means I step into what is not my mess. I bend my knee to what is not my mess. And I make the love of God tangible. Lastly, I think this passage speaks about having a busy hand. So we obviously read how Jesus, he bends down. He washes the feet of his disciples, but let's just consider the act of washing for a second. The act of washing goes much further than just cleaning, right? The act of washing actually speaks to restoring value. 
It means I see inherent value and I make it clear again. And that actually also refers to having a burdened heart, right? It's asking the question, do you see value in our city? Do you see value in the lives of people? Jesus, as he washes gross, dirty feet, it's more than cleaning. It is restoring value. It's a busy hand. I don't watch from a distance. I get in the mess. I make it my problem. I stop saying it's the government's problem. It's my problem because I live here and I follow God. Therefore, the mess is my mess. I'm going to start wrapping up with just these last few thoughts. The reason why we, as a church, we've been speaking about generosity over the last few weeks, highlighting some of the different just ministries that our church is involved in when it comes to the city. And we've mentioned that the reason why we do something like TREE, having a team of people transforming the educational environment, is not because we're bored. It's because we see value in the lives of scholars and teachers and parents. The reason why we do something like pop-up, it's not because we're bored. It's because we see value in the lives of people that deserve a chance, that deserve to be educated, that deserve to be set up in such a way that they can find a job. And tonight I want to just take two minutes and speak about the reason why we believe in something like Alpizo. Alpizo is our house for babies. And get this, I have some, some shocking statistics, but did you know in South Africa every year, more than 10,000 babies are abandoned in hospitals, on rubbish heaps, in streets. A lot of them actually die. They don't make it. Hang on, there's hope. It's not a depressing service. Those who are found alive, they need to be cared for. They need to be placed in a safe space where they can be cared for and hopefully either reunited with their family or placed into foster care or even placed uh, in adoption. And get this, Alpizo in, in the free state is one of only two homes like that. One of only two. And we as a church, we take responsibility for this place. This place actually came to us a few years ago in trouble. They were busy closing. One of only two homes in the free state that's able and equipped to take in abandoned babies and to journey with that was busy closing down and they asked us for help. Can we help? We felt God say yes. And we said, yes, we'll take responsibility for this place. And we have seen incredible things happen, just saying. We've seen babies being cared for, being loved and held and fed and played with. We actually have a story of one being adopted in a happy family, thriving, flourishing. Why? It's not because we're bored, trust me. It's because we see value. Those children, value. Even if someone else didn't want them, God has value in that child's life. So when we invite you, us as a church, to partake in something like generosity, it's for that, because there's value in our city that needs to be washed and restored. We're trusting for a lot of good things at Alpizo in 2024, heating for the house, playground, and up in the excellence of the care that we can provide. And that's why we invite you 
to contribute to something like generosity. And you can. You'll see on the seat next to you, there is a debit order form. The reason why we work with debit order forms is because that enables us to plan and to plan really well. And my invitation to you as a follower of Jesus is will you say yes in faith? Will you contribute? Will you, in a sense, bend your knee and make your hand busy? I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on stage. I want to end off with a few thoughts. I love John chapter 13 because it speaks about having a burdened heart. It speaks about having a bended knee. And it speaks about having a busy hand. But what I love most about that story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and just the, the act of washing feet is this. You can't stand and wash someone's feet. You have to change your posture. You have to move from this to this. You have to go low. You have to make less of yourself. And the reality is, the invitation for you to, let's say, contribute to something like the generosity fund, that's great. But get this, that will not be possible unless you first have this moment of clarity where you realize that the God of the universe who created things, He bent His knee for you. He changed His posture for you. Can you just imagine that for a second? The one who is constantly enthroned, being worshipped and adored for all eternity, chose to change His posture. You won't do that unless you see value in your children. That is what makes God himself bend his knee. It's because he loves you. And you will not be able to contribute. You will not be able to give, trust me, until you have this moment of realization. Realizing that Jesus saw value in you. He saw your dirty feet and he decided, I'll wash them. I'll restore you. I will cleanse you. I'll forgive you. I'll set you free. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you hope. I'll give you life. And he bent his knee to do that. Will you stand with me as we respond? My question to you tonight, as my brother or my sister, you who follow Jesus with me, is this. Will you say yes to the mission? Will you say yes? Will you say yes to taking the love of God and making it tangible in the city? Because here's the truth tonight. Whether you are in bloom for one year or two years or three years or 50 years, okay? If you find yourself sleeping in the city of Bloemfontein tonight 
and waking up in the city of Bloemfontein tomorrow morning, that means that you are a part of the mission. You have a role to play. You have something to give. We're going to respond in worship because we always need to have faith first before we very literally put our money where our mouth is, right? We always have to have faith first. So what we're going to do together is we're going to worship. The worship team will lead us in a song, but you'll see across the auditorium at the back and against the walls here on the sides, we've actually prepped some stations where we want to wash each other's feet tonight. You know why we want to do that? Because if we don't get mission right in here first, we'll never get it right out there. So what I want you to do is as we worship, I want you to take a moment and just to thank God for His bended knee towards you. Because that's big. It's massive. It's incredible. I want you to first spend a minute in thanksgiving. And then what I want you to do I want you to find a friend, someone you know, or even someone that you don't know, if you're really brave. And I want you to ask your friend, can I wash your feet for you tonight? Can I pray for you? Can I encourage you? Can I just spend a minute just making the love of God real for you? But maybe you want your feet to be washed. (laughs) My invitation is this, find a friend. Tell them, listen, I need to first have this moment. I need to first have this realization again that God bent his knee for me. So will you pray for me? Will you wash my feet? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to do that together. Let's lift up our hands. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Jesus, and we want to thank you tonight that you bent your knee for us. You humbled yourself. You took on the fragile frame of a human body. You limited yourself because you saw value in me. Some of you need to hear this tonight. God limited himself in a human body and he died and he rose again because he saw value in you. He values you. And God, we thank you for that tonight. So Father, we pray as a family together, set us a light for mission. Give us faith for mission. Set us ablaze with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with power and boldness and authority and creativity, God, to say yes to the mission, to take what you have so abundantly given me and blessed me with. Help me, Jesus, take that outside of this building, in my classroom, on campus, in my office, with my family, in restaurants, in pick and pay, with my friends. God, help me, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me so that the love of God can be made real and so that the love of God can be put to action in me and through me. We pray that together in Jesus' name. Amen. What a message. 
If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.